I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. We've been in uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, talking about the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And the overall premise of this sermon series is, why am I here? It is a reflection moment that I believe everybody who is connected to the kingdom of God should ask yourself. You should constantly be saying, why am I here? Because in every moment, there's a purpose. If you're here today, you thought you were coming for the kids. God got you here, and you never know what's going to be dropped in your spirit. Or you may have to give to somebody else. That's the beauty of God's perfect timing. God's perfect kingdom is you have a part to play in it. And sometimes we feel like we have control of it, but you don't. It's beautiful when, when the kids think they have control, right? <laughs> you know your kids do that all the time, and you're just like, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, you picked where we were going to eat tonight. I could have shut that down in a heartbeat if I wanted to. But yeah, I really do want Sonic because I like their tater tots. Sorry, I go on tangents. Just stick with me. I guarantee you will always get back to a place. So today we've been, we've been talking in the first part about kingdom, what that looks like, what Jesus was saying in a lot of the areas, expanding on what the Old Testament said, because this was still truth. Jesus just came to live it out for us, right? So now I want to talk about something today, and I'm going to give you the title of this, and just stick with me. When, I, when we got to this, and I was like, oh, this is, what we're, this is where we're at today with guests? Okay, I'll just trust you, Lord. Title of this sermon is Removing Authority from Poverty. I'm going to say that again. Removing authority from poverty. Okay, I'm going to put this disclaimer on this. Kingdom resources and provision is bigger than but does include money. Okay, stick with me. Now, somebody's here and like, every time I go to church, they're just talking about money. God wants to unleash some things in us, and it's bigger than money. When I talk about poverty today, I'm talking about something bigger than money because we are impoverished in some area or not. Over the weekend, I got a chance to speak at a conference, and the first night... Um, Danette Crawford, who is over the conference, spoke, and she said, I really feel like there's three areas, if we want to see revival in our lives and in the world around us, there's three areas that we need to be. We need to be hungry. We need to be humble, and we need to have honor. And as I prayed over that, because I spoke yesterday in that, God just put this in my spirit. He said, hungry, humbled, and honor does not equate to starving, Broke and worthless. 
There's too many people that hear hungry, humbled, and honored and walk out of the church like, I got that figured. But you're really starving, broke, and worthless in your own sight or the people you surround yourself that that's where they have you. So you really aren't in a space where you can receive what God wants for you because you're searching in a place that it's not for you. You're searching out of a place of destitution, not access. Does that make sense? So I want to read these scriptures with you today. We're going to start, I'm going to read Matthew 6, 25, and I'm just going to read the beginning of it. These will be on the screen. If you like this scripture, you need to come back next week and hear where we go from this. But I really need you to hear this because the Bible is amazing if you take the depth of it. And the beginning word of this gives value to what we're going to talk about today, but prepares us for what we're going to talk about next week. Y'all with me? Okay. Matthew 625, it says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, there's more to that scripture, but I really want you to take in this because what we're going to talk today is going to prepare us to remove anxiety from our life. How many of you can look at the world around us and say, there's a whole lot of reason for anxiety? And if you got kids, which most of you do, it only goes up exponentially, amen? Because you not only got to worry about yourself, if you're married, you got to worry about your spouse, then you got to worry about your kids. Whew, anxiety just begins to multiply. But when we look at what we're looking at today, right then, Jesus says, what we're going to talk about, this, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So what we're going to talk about today is positioning you to remove anxiety from your life. I love these moments, right, when you really get into it, but it's going to require something on us. We have to realize that the moment we meet Jesus, we are a work in progress. We don't have it all figured out. I don't care how good you were before you met Jesus. Here's what I want you to do real quick. Look at your neighbor just for a couple of seconds, just taking your neighbor. Observe, observe, observe. Don't just glance. Quit looking longingly, Liz and Joey. Really take in some things. Sorry, I call you out here. It's the way I am. All right, now I want you to focus right here. See, two things happen. How many of you notice some similarities about the person sitting next to you? Okay, how many of you notice some differences about the person next to you. See, we're wired in one of two ways. We are actually wired to be relational, regardless of how introverted you think you are. The human body, the connection to God, we are wired relationally. So when you begin to look at somebody, instantly we are aware of similarities and knowingly or unknowingly, we begin to say, okay, we could be in the same space, right? A couple of examples. How many of you have a white car? Did you notice when you bought a white car, how many people had white cars? It is all over the place. Like, we didn't have a white car forever. When we got a white car, I'm like, did everybody go to the car dealership yesterday and get white cars? Because you become aware of similarities, because you want to find a place to fit in. We want to be relational. So when we see something like us, it says our brain ticks. Oh. Another example is you women when you're pregnant, right? When you got pregnant, in the beginning, right, you were looking around like, oh, everybody's pregnant. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah, you got to nine months, you're like, oh, my gosh, everybody's pregnant. Why? Because in the beginning, it was joyful. You wanted people in your, in your group like, oh, 
in the end, in the ninth month, you wanted people in your support group. Oh, we're going to be broken and destitute. I see you, girl. Mm. When you do, mm, I'm the day after you. Because we notice these things, because we want to belong wherever we're at. We want to be with somebody. We don't want to have to do it by ourselves. No matter how much you tell yourself you want to be by yourself, you really want somebody on your side. You don't believe that? Go check social media. There is a pity party for everything going on in the world today. And if you're in those, I'm just going to invite you to walk away. Because that's not what you need. Second thing we do is identify differences. This really opens a door for, I believe, what was the entrance of sin into the world, and that was comparison. The moment Adam and Eve took of the fruit, instantly they looked at each other, they were naked, and they were ashamed. Why? Because they compared what they had and what they didn't have. Instantly, the spirit of comparison crept into the world, and we began to look at the people around us and say, you're different. And in that place of difference, the positive thing would be That person's different. I need that difference in my life. Because the understanding of Adam and Eve, who they were made to be, Eve taken out of Adam because of the difference that her femininity represented to his masculinity, he had it in him. Before God took Eve out, Eve was inside Adam, right? But he said, you know what? I need you to hear that voice, not have an internal conversation with it. You need a woman in your ear, otherwise you're going to do some stupid things. That's why I'm on track in my life, because I got women in it. And when my wife ain't there, it's amazing how women will keep me on. Like I was telling the other day, a lady, I was late for an appointment or something, and I walked in this lady, she, where you been? I'm sorry. Thank you for keeping me accountable. I would have been a loose cannon if not. Eve or Adam would have been a loose cannon, but God said, no, you need a helpmate. You need another voice, a differing opinion, somebody not wired like you to hold you accountable and help you get through life. Otherwise, you're just going to play a lot of golf and eat a lot of pizza. But the problem is we don't have a healthy version of difference. We look at the person next to us and we begin to establish a priority or a pecking order or a power and authority based on what we have and they don't. That's the problem we have in this country. Difference has put us on a different playing field and we look at somebody who don't look like us, act like us, sound like us, and we try to put ourselves up to make ourselves better because we're different. The church has done a real good job of this. We love to look at broken people who sin and say, well, at least I'm not that way. But realistically, the word I want to talk to you today about poverty is where that mindset comes from. Because if you don't have something, you are constantly going to seek after it. And the problem we have is the very thing we're looking for, the very thing we're impoverished in, in our mindset, prevents us from really accessing who God is and who he wants to be to us and who he wants to be through us. So I go back and I read that. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life because... I know more about you than you do. I know it's better for you than you do. Parents, y'all with me, right? 
Your kids think they know everything, but you know what they're impoverished in. Why? Because you give it to them. I know what you need. I know what you ain't got. But you can think you got it, but really I'm the one that's got it. It's God, when you're a parent, you really do get God more than you think you do. You get his frustrations with you the same way you get frustrated with your kids. It's, it's beautiful to see when you begin to see your relationship with God through your relationship with your kids. It will challenge you. I want to read these real quick and then we're going to get back into some scriptures. Poverty. The definition of poverty is the state of one who lacks a usual or socially acceptable amount of money or material possessions. The poverty we limit to money. But poverty is also connected to scarcity. Scarcity is a synonym. Scarcity means the quality or state of being scarce. Imagine that. I love when a word defines itself. But especially the want of provisions for the support of life. Then we look at the definition of scarce. Deficient in quantity or number compared with the demand. Not plentiful or abundant. Now, John 10.10 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that, this is Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So if scarce is not plentiful or abundant, it's tied to scarcity, poverty, we are invited from the moment we meet Jesus out of a place of scarcity, scarcity and poverty into a place of abundance. And as Jesus begins to talk in these next couple of passages, he's connecting it to money. But Jesus never talks about one thing. Do you understand that? Jesus talked on a whole other level. Look at his parables. You can get lost in a story. Like, oh, that was a good parable. And he's like, it was so much bigger than that. You're focusing on the wrong part of the story. Oh, you're talking about money, Jesus. Like, oh, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with money. He's like, yeah, but you're impoverished in other areas. You need to focus back and look at what I'm actually trying to tell you in this moment. It's the same way they did with the Old Testament. They knew the word, but they didn't know the word. Jesus was the living expression of what they thought they knew. But it was deeper than they could imagine. So let's get into the word. So Matthew 6, verse 19 it says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the first problem we have to understand is it's we've got to change what we seek. Because the broken us is seeking something at all times. Whether we like it or not, no matter what we think, we're constantly in search of something. If you're single today, I don't care how much you tell me, I don't need a man, I don't need a woman. You're seeking, you're looking. May not be with your eyes, but with your heart. Why? Because we're wired to be relational. There's a peace. That's my better half over there. And I'll tell you, it was a journey to get to that place. But I will tell you this, in both of us, when we stop seeking after the one, we found the one. 
So in this, it's, it's shifting what we seek and what we speak. I'm gonna shift, I'm gonna get you some scriptures here. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we first meet Jesus, we're saying all sorts of things. Ooh, y'all remember that moment? I would love to just actually Jesus be interactive the first time you physically met him because you would have said some stuff. Anybody ever been that Christian talking to somebody that don't really know Jesus and they say some stuff and then they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Y'all have those conversations? Or maybe you're the one that says it. God bless you. Uh, I was playing golf with a buddy of mine and he hit a bad shot. And I know, God bless you. And he let out a GD and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Anthony. I was like, oh, you didn't say my name. <laughs> what are you apologizing to me for? It, you can talk to him. It's cool. He knows you. Yeah, he's got your address. It's cool. But as we grow, this tongue changes. But I think we have so many people speaking impoverished things over their life. The titles that we wear and we speak over ourselves. We speak negativity. We speak poverty over ourselves. I'll never be anything more than this. This is who I am. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about heavenly resources and access. That's why when God meets you for the first time, begins to connect you, he wants you to realize that he is a good, good father. Not a dictator, not this monarch that rules over you. He is a father. And if you didn't have a good relationship with your father or parents when you were growing up, I want to open a door for you to understand the heart of a father. And this, one of the things I've realized is as people come in who had broken roads to get to Jesus, it affects how they perceive him. And there's a lot of people who have been victims we shared this just a couple of weeks. You are not a victim. You may have been victimized, but you have to remove that title from you because it is not who you are now because of what's been done to you yesterday. If you had bad parents, you were a victim. You were victimized by bad parenting. But you were invited into a relationship with a father who loves you, values you more than anybody ever could. See, that's the beauty of a good father. They say daughters will seek after the father that they had, good or bad. We see a lot of this so many times, women who get into marriages and relationship with people, and it's broken, and we're like, why did that happen? Well, that's just the safety of what they knew, even when it was hurtful. We see people who chase after drugs and things like that because even though it's hurtful, there was safety in the known, right? What, when you have a good father, a father, I'm going to tell our fathers here today, you are setting and establishing the standard for the man your, your daughters are going to look after. You are opening or closing a door for the right person, the right type of man to walk. If you open the door for your daughter, you are setting a standard. If you make them open their own door, you're setting a standard. If the first date they ever go on was with some boy you don't know and you never took them on a date, you have set a standard. If the first flower they receive is from some boy that who really don't know them or their value, you have set a standard. See, I was raised with boys, so I don't know. Me and my brother, I didn't have girls in my life. This is something that my wife had to help me grow in. This is the purpose of the otherness in your life. 
She said, you better get those girls a flower because they need to know you love them before any other boy tries to give them something that they ain't got. This is the purpose of the church because we need to begin to establish the love of a father to people who have not experienced it. Yet that's not what it looks like. It looks like this. You're broken. Sorry, I'm just pointing your generation. It's not. I'll point over here too. You're a mess. You are worthless. It's not what we say, but it's what our actions say. Why? It's because we're impoverished even in the church today. Because when you, remain, when you receive access to something that's bigger than what you're asking for, but you know there's more of it, you're willing to give it all away. I'm going to go back to this scripture. Do not lay up yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. So what that instantly talks about is an expiration. There's an expiration to this thing you're seeking after. Moth and rust will destroy. Over time, it will fade. Over time, the value of it will fade. See, this is the impoverished mindset. Even the value that we seek from other people has an expiration date on it. I was talking to a group of people this week, and we were talking uh, about validation. And as somebody was speaking, they kept saying validation and validation. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say validation is just dated value. Everybody in this world, if you weren't validated as a child by your parents, you're seeking validation somewhere. But the problem is that value has a date on it. The moment you receive what you think you deserve or what you wanted, it's expired. The moment you achieve a title or position that validates you to somebody, the moment that's done, it's finished. And we, in that impoverished mindset of looking to be validated with God in our relationship, we're only looking for a temporary value that he can give us when he wants to give us eternal value based on our creation. The fact that you have breath in your lungs and a beat in your chest today demonstrates value beyond what you could even imagine. Doesn't mean you're going to get it right. Doesn't mean you got it figured out, but it speaks to a father who sees you and knows you and invites you into a place of value beyond expiration. This changes how you begin to seek. Because if you understood that about God, you would seek love there, not wherever you might have been last night. Okay, I just said that because that's some of those moments like... None of you were there last night, so that's good, right? Not speaking to you. That was for somebody online. God bless them. But it's truth. We're seeking it somewhere. Or we're seeking it through filters of the currency that we want in return. God, if you love me, if you value me, then you'll give it to me in this currency. He's like, I'm bigger than that. I know you. I know who I made you to be. Why are you telling me how to love you? It's because we're not really seeking him. See, the next week we're going to get into seek and you'll find. But if you don't understand where your value lies, you're not going to seek the right way. You're going to seek for what you want, where you want, and still be frustrated that you never get the level that you deserve. 
wondering why you're still going through broken situation circumstance because you're surrounding yourself with people who look like you, act like you, sound like you. Guess what? If you're broke, they are too. And what we reside to be is a place of broken people because we find comfort there. Oh, your daddy wasn't good to you? Yeah, we need to hang out. Mine wasn't either. Guess what? If you have kids, you are only repeating a cycle because you don't have anybody that's wired differently than you to speak life into an area you are broken. Pity parties will tie you to a place of poverty. And before you know it, that poverty, that mindset, that what you feel like you deserve or what's being furthered by the voices that you're surrounding yourself gains authority over you because now you've been assigned a place in life a place in relationship, a place in the mirror of someone who has no authority because you're not tapped into your heavenly father who has ultimate authority. Y'all still with me? It's quiet in here. Y'all either writing notes, eating this up, or mad at me. That's okay. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what you've got to find first and foremost is God's got to be your treasure. I don't think we treasure God enough. Why? Because I think he has the same limited value we've been looking for. Oh, I remember I met Jesus that first time. Ooh, it was a good time. If that's all he is to you, I guarantee in your hard time, you're not going to look for Jesus. Or you're going to be mad that he didn't change it into the first time. A lot like your marriage. Do you remember that, that first time? Feels like the first time. <laughs> Sorry for my foreigner fans. Y'all know what I'm saying. You will try to get back to that point in your marriage your whole life. And there's so many today that are leaving their marriage because they can't get back to that place of affection because they never really dove into what true love looks like. Now think about your relationship with God. If your relationship with him is built on affection and not seeking out true relationship. I will tell you, the one person that speaks into my life that makes me the maddest is my wife. Mm. Why? Because generally, she is right. Probably shouldn't do that. Don't tell me what I shouldn't do. Ah, she's right. <laughs> How am I going to walk this one off? Babe, you were right. This is a conversation that doesn't happen enough. You're right. And if you saw the problem, you probably can help me get out of it. See, that's God. And the enemy, you have this other voice in your head. I'm not even going to get to all my notes today. That's why I closed my Bible, because we're, we're at a place. But we're at a place, and I need somebody needs to hear this. you got to come back next week. This could be a six-week sermon series. <laughs> Welcome to Greenberg Community Church. Our pastor's crazy. This is your relationship with God. But the problem is your voice is the same voice that the enemy uses. 
Because God begins to open your eyes as you begin to connect with him and find where your treasure is and what you're really seeking after is not what you really need. You need to know you're better than even that. The price tag you put on yourself is limited. You wanted $19.99 and he's like, you're worth a Benjamin, baby. But you've been settling. And when you have that intimate relationship with him, you'll find out there's a voice that begins to speak into you and says your value is bigger than that. But then the enemy comes in and is like, man, you're worthless. I can't believe you messed it up again. And we begin to allow that voice because we've gotten good at listening to it because that's the voice that we use to talk to ourselves when we make mistakes. That conversation you have with yourself, it's the most damaging one. And the enemy knows that language that you use, so he continues to use that name and title over you. That's the authority that we have in a poverty spirit of what we don't have. If you don't understand God as Jehovah Rapha, the restorer, then you are impoverished in that area. And the enemy wants everything he can to distract you and keep you from that place. Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Like, I just keep praying for God to give me money. Yeah, but have you done anything with it? Because we're going to get in two weeks down the road, three weeks, whenever, where it talks about the, you can serve one master or the other. That's where I intended to go today, but we didn't get in there. That's okay. All of this is getting you to a place where you are allowing something to master you. And we run from God because we think he's an angry master because that's what the devil continues to tell us and lie to us about. Well, he won't let me be me. That's because if you really get down to it, what you're doing and where you're going is not the best version of you. But the beauty of that, God doesn't just like kick your door and say, you're a mess, you're broken, you better get this right or me and you have nothing to do with each other. He knocks on the door. He knocks on the door of your heart. And most of you have no solicitors wanted on your door. And you look at your people and you're like, oh, it's that Jesus again. I've heard about him. Because somebody told me about his scripture and he really doesn't like me based on what they told me. I'm just not going to. No, he will not go away. Finally, you're like, I'll just get rid of him. And you open the door and you just want to be angry at him. Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. He just looks you in the eyes and says, I just want to let you know I love you. And then he turns. This is where he gets you. He turns and he looks back. I just thought about this. I think the moment that impacted Peter the most when he denied Christ was the moment that right when it happened on the third time, Jesus stopped and he looked at him. I don't think there was any shame or disappointment, but that's the filter that he received it because he was impoverished in an area because he gave that love away in that moment. He gave that and Jesus looked at him. Peter put a pin in that. I'll be back. Because he sees beyond what you can see. 
He sees beyond what you're asking for. He said, if you would just treasure me, treasure what you know. Just the fact that I came here in a space where you don't deserve it, you've messed it up and said, I love you. If you can trust that as your treasure right now, keep looking. Play some music. It's getting awkward in here. I want you to imagine there's a mirror in front of your face right now. We have taken a hard left turn from where we intended to be, but that's good because that's where God wants us to be. In the same way you looked at your neighbor today, I want you to begin to look at yourself compared to what you want to be. Because I think God's going to also open you up to what you could be. And the beauty is when you look at yourself of what you should be, the differences are glaring and accusational. Hmm, should have done that. Yep, you always do that. Man, I'll never get that right. But the image that's staring back at you when God shows you you is always invitational. Always who you could be. I will not drag you kicking and screaming into your purpose. I will not drag you kicking and screaming into your value. But if you'll listen to the heart of a father who truly loves you and take me by the hand and walk step by step, you'll never be in a place where you won't feel loved and appreciated. And as I replace what you thought you were worth with who I see, not only will you be able to speak it over yourself, but you will freely give it to others. This is the kingdom. We're going to talk about money, but he's got to get your heart right in the way you see yourself and the way you see others before he can ever undo anything else in you. He's got to restore your value. Otherwise, you're constantly going to find value in the things of this world. I didn't come that you would continue living a life of scarcity, the things that you think you need to survive life. I came that you could have life, every breath you breathe and are beat in your chest and have it abundantly. Because I want to make a difference in you so you can make a difference in others. I challenge you today. No matter how long you've been in this game, no matter how long you've known him, you begin to look at the filters on your life. The places you stopped seeking him because you got satisfied that that's just enough. The place that you find the most anxiety in your life because you feel like he's not there 
and ask yourself, have I ever really invited him there? Like, not who you want him to be in that space, like inviting the life of the party friend and say, just sit in the corner and be quiet. Guess what? You invite me to your party and tell me to be quiet, I'm not coming to your party. It's a lot like Jesus. Jesus, I'd love for you to come into my life, but I just don't need you to be you right now. I just need you to be who I need you to be. See, that's the place that he'll come. He's not like me. He'll come and he'll sit in the back of the room and his heart will break every time you go through anxiety, doubt, fear, and shame. But he refuses to kick in your door and tell you you could be better. But it's the moment that you break. And nobody else is at the party because everybody that got you to that place has left because they have no more value in you. And you find yourself on your knees in tears that he walks over, pulls your hair behind your ears if you have hair. says, I see you. This is not you. They were not you. You are a treasure. Why? Because you were made in the image of the treasure. I want you to begin to challenge yourself in your life where you find anxiety because that scripture says, therefore, which is empowering to say you're not supposed to have anxiety in your life. If you do, I want you to start inviting him in. Okay, God, I want an unadulterated you. I want all of you in this place. Be careful though. You say that prayer, you'll get exactly what you ask for. You want your prayer life to get bigger if you've been to a church? I want my prayer life to be bigger. I need you in my prayer life. Get ready. I want to see people as you see me. I want to see life in people. I want to be ready. He doesn't give that to you and it just not flow out of you. You'll start telling people in the grocery store line how amazing they are. Because when you find your value, you'll give it away. There was a season in my life where my value lied in that. God closed that door. And the further I got away from it was the moment I heard a whistle. And he's like, Anthony, come on back. You can have it now. Now you don't need it. I know that doesn't define you. Some of you, the thing you've been looking for, you've been waiting for it to define you. That's why he hasn't given it to you. It's the moment you walk away and say, you know what, God, if you don't want me to have that, then I don't need it. That may be the moment he opens that door for you because now it's not about you and what you did. It's about that father and a love and value for you that you didn't even know you had. Father, I thank you today for all that you're doing and undoing in us. I thank you for the invitation to continue to grow in relationship with you. I pray over somebody right now in this room that does not know you that over this week, in a moment of quietness and maybe in a moment of anxiety, they would feel seen.
they would feel heard. You would put somebody in their life to speak the exact words at the exact time that they need to hear to know that you are near. Father, I thank you that you are a God that that promises to be close to us even when we are far from you. We give you this day. We give you our life. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.